Girls Gone Canon, John, Intro, and Chapter One, A Game of Thrones. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You can find me on the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter, on Tumblr, and at my blog, liesandarborgold.com. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, maybe on the Maester Monthly podcast, or as Arithmetric on Twitter. We made it. Was that like Danny's title? Yeah. Or what? Was that was that your face? Is that why you made the face at me? Because oh, I was no. reciting I'm still, my like, titles. I'm excited every time you say lies in arbor.com. Oh. It's it's Hey, months. I'm gonna put a new blog post oh, up wow. soon. I'm hoping. That so, is exciting. Yeah. yeah. What's really meta is that we're gonna be stuck on John for a long time. Yeah, it's going to be like a couple of months. This is our longest POV yet. Not to mention one of the longest POVs in the entire series. I believe our good friend Warren Dudson sent us a message telling us who... Yeah, uh, Tyrion has the most chapters at 49. And then it's Jon and Arya has 34 even though she's in every book. Yeah. Every single book. It is, that is pretty interesting. I guess because John and Tyrion, to some extent, being more connected with some of those main plots, are there for a lot of the driving forces within the storyline, whereas Arya's storyline is just a little more removed. Yeah. And we're going to be on John for 20 to 25 episodes, probably somewhere in that range. Uh, so 20 to 25 weeks, half a year almost. Uh, so that's that's not bad. I think we're hopefully not going to have to do too crazy. But if we got to go longer, we got to go longer because it's our boy. Got to give it up for Jaboy. Jaboy. John Boy. John Boy. Boy John Boy. <laughs> boy John Boy. John oh Ball John. Anyways. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a prisoner. It's going to be. He kind of is. It's going to be really exciting. Though, to contrast John's storyline, I think we talked about this before, but it, it's still exciting for me to, to see how it's going to go in Game of Thrones for him and be in his chapters. Yeah, it's really exciting to be on John's chapters during show season for sure because of that, because the whole time we're just going to be reflecting on where our baby boy was and where our king is now. Yeah, what so. a glow up. <laughs> what a glow up. The biggest glow up from John 1, today's episode, to... uh the finale of Game of Thrones season eight, whatever happens. Jump mediums. Whatever happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but we've missed a lot between John and his birth, his very important birth, which it's so funny because to go forward, you must go back, especially with John, uh, to get to John being born and being the savior. We have to go all the way back to when Ned came home from war in 283-284 with baby Jon Snow on his hip. He shows up, he won't speak about Jon's mother, and Jon and his wet nurse end up taking up residence in Winterfell before Cat and Rob come home from Riverrun, his trueborn son. Indeed. That must have really pleased Catelyn, and by that I mean probably not at all. And it probably won't, you know, frame all of John's chapters with all of his issues from when he was young. I mean, it's not like I do that with my entire life, you know? Yeah. I mean, we all have abandonment issues. Grow up, Eliana. And <laughs> speaking of growing up, John grew up in Winterfell, and he was seen as the rumored byproduct of Ned and Ashara Dane. There were whispers all throughout Winterfell about it. It had taken her a fortnight to marshal her courage, but finally, in bed one night, Catelyn had asked her husband the truth of it, asked him to his face. That was the only time in all their years that Ned had ever frightened her. Never ask me about John, he said, cold as ice. 
He is my blood, and that is all you need to know. And now I will learn where you heard that name, my lady. She pledged to obey, she told him, and from that day on, the whispering had stopped, and Asharadane's name was never heard in Winterfell again. Yeah, Asharadane was basically used as a quote-unquote purple herring for John's parentage, especially around Winterfell. Ned never said no, Ashara wasn't the mom, but he never said yes. And of course, had John come out looking a little bit more like one of his birth parents, he may just have had the purple eyes that House Dane carries. So Ashara was a great scapegoat for that at her own mercy, and that was uncool, but we will get to that another day. Oh, definitely. We've got lots to talk about there. And of course, this upbringing for John and the silence around his mother affects both Catelyn and John differently. For Catelyn, the silence makes her think that Ned must have loved John's f- mother fiercely. Not untrue. He did, in fact, love his sister Lyanna fiercely, just not like that. Apparently, that's like <laughs> a, a theory people have. But there was also the theory, I'm going to throw this out there now that we're talking about John and Cat. There was a theory way back then after the first book that John and Catelyn would have yep. sex. Yeah, glow ups, guys. <laughs> and- oh my god, <laughs> whose kink is this? I am kink shaming you on the I, podcast. I don't know whose it is, but it existed. I, this is like the rule thirty four. That sounds just like what someone who was into it would oh say. Eliana. This is the rule thirty four <laughs> of um, what is this called? What is this? This book that we read, A Song of Ice that and Fire. Thing. Yeah, but <laughs> the kinks we made along the way. <laughs> Me and you. We have to record this episode, Eliana. Us. The entire episode. Unable to. But Ned's silence around John's mother affects him a little differently because for him, he internalizes that silence as shamefulness, as Ned being ashamed of his mother. And so John feels some sort of shame around being a bastard, though Ned never wanted that for him. Yeah, and... As we all will learn and know, just as much blame of this as Catelyn gets, Ned really should get some of it. He pushes John away because of Lyanna's death. It's the kind of relationship we see with Arya and John, right? This is Lyanna was Ned's little sister and one of his favorite people in the whole world. And he looked at her like she was the entire world and she fell away and faded out and it's a similar relationship we see with John, something we'll get to later and chat about, is, of course, him saving his sister, Arya, which Your we just saw sister. Arya get saved by Theon. Yes, we did. <laughs> and a lot of that, of course, is at the behest of John. Another thing that John has that is important in this story is he has the stark look. Incorporated with the rumors about who his mother was, John's appearance actually ends up being closer to Ned's appearance than his trueborn children, which could not and did not make things better for Catelyn. Sure, but at the same time, Ned must have been so fucking relieved. <laughs> yeah, dude, he was just sitting there like, he's like, thank God, because if that kid came out like Rhaegar, uh... <laughs> I know, and that's probably part of why there are theories that Ned planted the Ashara rumors. Probably. Oh, of course. But... Yeah, he must have been pretty fucking relieved. Anyway, John's eyes were a gray so dark, they seemed almost black, but there was little they did not see. He was of an age where the Rob, but they did not look alike. John was slender, where Rob was muscular, dark, where Rob was fair, graceful, and quick, where his half-brother was strong and fast. They're like Snow White and Rose Red or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually just thinking that because John Snow White. Oh. And Rob Rose Red with his hair. John Snow White? 
Oh. 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 oh, like a firelight. Yeah. And of course, there's a lot in that passage on top of that, the differences between the brothers. We get this later with another passage we'll read of Robin John's constant, that, that underlying hint that John came first, but Rob's the heir, mm-hmm. you know, because John's a bastard and he could never have Winterfell. And that all ties into all these feudal contracts and loyalties and alliances. And sure, a marriage is a marriage. But as we know, with Ned and Catelyn, it is a political marriage. There was not love there at first. She was supposed to marry Brandon. All of this was meant for Brandon, which, of course, fits right in with Rob and John. There's always that underlying, as John goes on in A Dance with Dragons, you know, the cup has fallen to me and it never should have. This is not for me. None of this. Winterfell's not mine. Mm-hmm. And there's always that in the text between Rob and John, even outlining those really sweet moments of the snowflakes in his hair. He'll always remember being the bastard of Winterfell as much as he loves this second family. He was always alone. He was always made to be ostracized and ashamed of having no one for a mother, ashamed of being Ned's bastard. He was never going to fit in, just like we had with Theon last episode, or last POV. In the last episode, both. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. And. It's that the way that everything's set up because bastards aren't necessarily entitled to anything in terms of uh, legality, wills, etc. That he feels guilt. Like, every single thing that he can have comes tinged with guilt if he gets it through the system. Whereas Theon didn't necessarily have that. Theon was allowed to be friends with Rob. And when he competes with Rob, it's just as equals, both as heirs to one of the Seven Kingdoms. Whereas for John, for him to compete... He remembers that Catelyn made him feel bad for it, and also that, you know, for him to compete, he is trying to prove himself, and it's everything's tinged with guilt for him. Yeah. I'm trying not to, like, go too hard on, like, the Catelyn stuff, but it's I know, hard. it's weird, but I mean, it's it's hard. You can't not relate yeah. to John without going yeah. there. I mean, he was alone. He had nothing. He was, you know, he, he didn't do anything to be born, and as we know, he didn't deserve that. Liana got to pass John off and she died, obviously, which is horrible. And I love Liana. Obviously, we know I love Liana. Yeah. She's like one of my faves of all time ever. But Catelyn had to live with Liana's secrets, with her running away with Rhaegar, whatever yeah. happened. Catelyn had to bear that cross. And I'm not saying that John was some sort of cross to bear, but when we get to Catelyn, it makes sense how that led to those feelings and how that coldness and how Ned didn't do anything to stop it and it that resentment just built and built and built and Catelyn gave and gave and gave and it's just really sad to look at all these different POVs of people that if like they had just had a little bit more communication in their worlds this could have been avoided all of it all of it could have been avoided for sure but Ned is the person who withholds things he keeps those secrets he he locks them in there he locks them like in the Winterfell tomb, he is. He, he, that's where he is. That's where his heart has been all of these years. Same as how Ned, when he's in King's Landing, how he doesn't tell like Sansa about his plans for everything. He does the same thing to his wife, Catelyn. He doesn't tell them out of fear for them, out of fear for everything else. That if he just opens the vault a little, it'll all come out and drown them. Yes. And worse than that, it's funny because when you consider the Ned and his parenting of Sansa and Arya in King's Landing, you don't ever consider there is another option. And like when I was a kid, if my parents had friends come over and they were drinking or they were having a good time Uh and it kind of got inappropriate for a child to be there and I thought maybe this isn't a good situation that my child should be in, Uh like my parents would just say, hey, 
go to bed, Chloe, or we're going to take you and send you home. You know, we're going to go drop you off at home and or there's going to be a babysitter to watch you and you're not going to come to this party. Mm -hmm. So when Ned shows up and within a week, he should have said, maybe this isn't the place for my daughters. Maybe it's unsafe and I need to figure out how to get them back now. When all this secret and all this craziness showed up, he just thought that his young preteen daughters were going to be okay in, in King's Landing where he was barely okay. Yeah, he was depending on his like, on Septimordane to take care of them. Yeah, and furthermore, we know he didn't bring enough people, but he was just so swept up in this plot, right, of another bastard child, you know, what the secret was of this bastards, bastards, bastards. That's all that haunts this first book. And John is one of those characters that is made to deal with that haunting as well, just like Sansa ends up turning into a bastard, you know, to survive. And Arya, of course, loses all of her identity to survive. And then Theon, Theon doesn't survive, right? He dies. Right. We get Reek. Right. And John has to do all of this later on. Obviously, he does it a little more literally than everyone else. <laughs> and, you know, we'll talk about his identity being a bastard later on in the episode because there is that iconic moment in this chapter. But yeah. first... This chapter really incorporates the feel of the Starks coming of age. We are starting to get it with Sansa's chapters. Arya's chapters are getting there. We'll get it eventually with Bran with his visions. It's a very young hero's coming of age, like the, the teen titans of the North. Yes, and in that spirit, Chloe and I have <laughs> taken to thinking about who they are. At first I was like, is John raven but then i was like wait no maybe he's more robin i'm robin is also very much brooding we are i am also basing this off of the the more serious like early 2000s teen titans cartoon even though i actually yes. like teen titans go i know that a lot of people don't but it's it's a pretty i've never seen it's it pretty enjoyable you just don't expect it to be what the first teen titans was it's it's a perfectly fun yeah. show yeah i i don't know i think uh i could see john as robin i like that one i do yeah I was also asserting that Bran is Beast Boy because he goes into the yeah he turns into a, into an animals, animal into yes. a beast. But I would argue that Bran is actually Raven. I could see that, and that John's Robin, Rickon is Beast Boy, mm. and Sansa I guess is Starfire. I mean they have and like red hair and are more outgoing. I don't know. They have bubbly, girly yeah. personalities. Yeah. Uh, is I don't know though I would argue and we're gonna get to that when we get to Arya someday I think Arya is more outgoing than Sansa I, I could uh, see that but I Arya I would see as Terra so maybe Arya is Starfire oh, and Sansa is Terra but yeah I could see Arya I think Arya is a little more outgoing and Sansa is a bit more introverted but this is really important to the fandom <laughs> and I think we're supplying yeah. a really important thing to you guys right now I think now. you're definitely I think there's definitely something there about Bran being Raven I mean his name literally means like little Raven or something right and yeah. then, yeah, Littlefinger is definitely Slade, in my opinion. Oh my god. Uh, and Rob is... Littlefinger's not allowed okay, in this show. Okay, my bad, sorry. He... Littlefinger's <laughs> not in this show. <laughs> um, yeah. Rob is Cyborg. You know, he's the... He's, he's yeah, the right? nice... Everyone likes him. He's cool. He's sporty. Yeah. Um, also, throwing out there, you know, someone on Twitter today from the Night's cast Night. was talking mm -hmm. about how, of course, Rob Stark is... Rob's name, and then you get the reanimated Robert Strong, and Strong means Stark in German, or is it the other way around? Mm -hmm. One of those. And I'm just throwing out yes. there, Robert Strong is very much a bit cyborgy. I could see it. I you could know, see piece it. together things, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
I guess the big point is that each of the Starks is a Teen Titan. Has, yeah, they're a Teen Titan. They have a specific skill that they hone that is useful to the pack or team, and it is original to the pack or team, right? Sounds just the politician. John's the hero of the story. Bran has the mystic connection. Arya is kind of, you know, one of the fighters, the assassiny, sleuthy. I don't know. I, I'm working on it. But each of them hones something that's useful to the pack. Yeah, like Theon is speedy. Sorry, I just forgot that there are people oh because speedy does the arrows. Okay, done. <laughs> Yeah, that's him. That's no, you're right. Him. They do each bring something to the pack, and there's very much that same feel that we've talked about in, like, the Ariane chapters or the Quentin chapters of, like, we are putting together our D&D team, and everyone has yeah. a different skill set. Arya's the rogue. So it's just got the charisma stats. I mean, Arya also has charisma stats, but... Yeah. Anyway. Well, and that's what's part of her whole, like, assassin thing. Like, she can, you know, be secretly skillfully killing i guess yeah. i don't know that's part of her outgoing and charisma but john is trying to become a, the ranger class but gets a little sign john's just trying not to die again yeah that's true you know john's he's just rolling he's rolling the all best. these safe safe throws and you know <laughs> is it gonna pan out we're gonna find out yeah but yeah i mean we're here we're at john's storyline it's such a big deal and like in the first book you know stretching all the way until dance of course and his storyline, as we're going to see, is very much about like that price, things that you give up, and it's a great mirror for a different character we haven't actually talked about much yet in here, because we've been talking about the Starks, of Danny's storyline, which is about, you know, while John is the price of duty, Danny's is like, only death can pay for life. And then we have in this first chapter, we're setting up basically John introing us into the Night's Watch, and he gets his like call to action from Benjen. I mean, John has a bunch of call to actions. It's He's the hero, okay? And we're following his journey of learning all those costs, and it ends in the Game of Thrones with him just, like, committing for Shirzies to the Night's Watch and realizing the cost of giving up his family. And slowly, like, his storyline's just going to test him again and again with all these different temptations. Like, you know, starts out with Rob and Ned's lives, then you get Egret, then we get, like, becoming the Lord of Winterfell, and finally, in Dance, his family again with Arya. Quote-unquote Arya. Yeah, it also adds to that whole, like, he just doesn't know who he is or who he should be. He's 14! Yeah, he has all these identity issues, and he's 14, 15, 16. He dies when he's 16, 17. Like, and comes back, maybe. We don't know. Spoilers. Fuck, I'd be so mad if I died at, 14, at like, 16, and I didn't even get to know who I was yet. Yeah, and he really didn't know. Like, you know more than he did. I know. Damn. Damn. Even then. Well, I'm a bastard, so I feel like as a bastard, I'm allowed to talk about this episode. So I'm excited to get into it. I am. <laughs> I feel like yeah. uh, you can't, you know, talk about John and appropriate my culture. So for sure, you're 16 or 17. Who knows who they are? Yeah, I don't even know really who I am now, and I'm old. I'm like you're 80. so wizened. You're like old, fucking Thanks. old man. Oh my god, I wish you're analyzing all these stories to Brand Stark. Anyway, <laughs> you guys are the Brand Stark of my life. <gasps> okay, so we do have some emails and tweets of note. There's this one that I really liked on Patreon, and I thought it was actually quite apt for this episode, which is about John's first time, I think, getting plastered. Yeah. So Steph comments, and this was in response to a Patreon episode where Chloe and I were talking about our own first times getting really drunk. Steph says, Tardy to the party. Amazing. Just want to 
<laughs> I just want to like lift up that first opening line. This comment's really Tardy good. Tardy to the party. But I just wanted to say I cannot drink orange juice after someone kept refilling my screwdriver sometime in my early 20s. I wasn't paying attention and fucked up my life. I only drink vodka and meals now. Oh, that's that's you as fuck. You can't do vodka. I don't really, yeah, I don't really do vodka because of that. And also, yeah, it was yeah. from screwdrivers. I don't, I do like Moscow mules. I'll drink some things depending on what they are. I had one this weekend that was okay, but it had too much ginger. Mm. Mm. Yeah, Moscow mules are mm. just like, um, for me, they feel, they have the same spirit as mojitos, but in a copper cup, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm more of a different citrus. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that that was perfectly on brand for this yeah, episode. As John gets drunk for the very first time, and so is drunk Chloe. Drunk for the very first time. Like John like Snow. Snow. <laughs> okay, anyways. So, lightning round. Of course, we have a prologue. We should start back. Dance with me then. Mm, how good is that line? It's Dance with oh, me then. we're definitely going to revisit, of course. The Night's Duh, Watch. Someday. Someday here. We're going to talk about that soon. Brand one. Bran watches his father serve justice to a deserter of the Night's Watch. The Starks come across six abandoned direwolf pups. Catelyn one. Catelyn seeks her lord husband in the godswood to tell him that his foster father has died. Gasp. And the king marches for the north. Oh my god. <laughs> Did you just cheer about John Aaron no, dying? gasp. Oh, I thought you said yes. I was like, oh my god, Eliana. No, I'm gasping. Respect Because we all know. <laughs> he was, mur- he was murdered. <laughs> he was murdered by his enemies and his wife. Um, <laughs> Can you both? Daenerys won. Daenerys is presented to Cal Drogo for a possible marriage alliance, which would grant her brother Drogo's armies. Eddard won. The king makes Eddard his hand and offers a betrothal for his heir to Sansa. Yeah. <laughs> And an overview of John 1 in A Game of Thrones. John lurks in the shadows of his half-siblings at a feast honoring the king and his party. He meets Tyrion Lannister and speaks with his uncle Benjen about joining him at the wall. So, opens John 1 with one of the few times that John is happy to be a bastard because he gets to be ignored since everyone else is paying attention and the castle is feasting the king, queen, and their children. And John is drinking a lot of summer wine on a bench with some of the young squires surveying the scene. It's hour four of the feast, and the Lannister Baratheon banners hang on the granite walls next to Stark banners. There's a singer playing the high harp, and his half-siblings are all seated on the dais in seats of honor with the royal family. So, of course, the singer playing the high harp, just to point out since we just came from this, is Mance. Or Abel. Or Mance. This is straight up Mance. This is uh, when John meets Mance. We will get to that, obviously, later, 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 later on. Mance says, I saw you at the feast at Winterfell. So this was Mance. Yes. John's happy that he's in the crowd and gets to be like a normal person. And normally, the rest of the children, as tonight, are only permitted one glass of wine. But down here, John can get crunk. It's nice that George takes this time to tell us about Ned's nature as a father. John's point of view is obviously a little bit of an outsider, so we get a different opinion than what we hear from a lot of the characters' thoughts like Arya and like Sansa. It's interesting because it brings us right back to talking about Ned harboring his children so close to home that it's detrimental to their upbringing. We see in Sansa's chapter right around this time when she repeats they were only ever allowed a cup of wine at feasts, and how by the end of the trident, she's too buzzed 
to actually really exist, you know, to make decisions. She's very much so incapable of soberly making decisions during that. She feels kind of out of control. And I mean, Ned doesn't let them drink. He doesn't let them, you know, do that unless it's fancy occasions. I will say, though, in Ned's defense, they are like... 11. Yeah, 11 and developing. I think that the way yeah, this is no, written, agree, it's supposed but... to be us. I think this is George's way of coding, like, Ned's, like, a responsible father. Unlike yeah. and Robert. I mean, definitely more responsibly of Robert letting Joffrey steal off into the wine cellars and grab his favorite sword and take a Stark girl across the lance and then go, like, get food for the inn and be like, feed me, peasant. So, yeah, it's a much different contrast these kids are raised kind of gently and more humbly than what a lot of the other highborns are they're still highborn they still experience a lot of those benefits but Mm -hmm. they're definitely raised uh you know they they've done maybe one chore before yeah just one maybe one one. yeah john has a man's thirst down on the benches so the squires are egging him hey drink more Ah, ah, ah. hey i do i do appreciate it (laughs) greatly First John pun. I'm a believer that his name's going to be Aegon. I think it will be. However, George explains it, it'll probably make sense. I think his name's probably Aegon. It'd be fine if it was Aemon as well, but I think it's going to be Aegon. I yeah. do. He's Aegon the Seventh. He's certain that the squires are way more fun than the king's group, and he recalls the procession when they all entered and, like, Ned had to escort Cersei. Ooh, awkward. <laughs> Must have been so weird. John remembers that Cersei wore a tiara in her golden hair with emeralds that match her eye. And he's like, yeah, she she is really pretty. But he says that he can see like through her eyes that she is not, in fact, actually happy. Then we have King Robert and Lady Catelyn. And the king turns out is a huge disappointment to John. His father had talked of him often. The peerless Robert Baratheon, demon of the trident, the fiercest warrior of the realm, a giant among princes. John saw only a fat man, red-faced under his beard, sweating through his silks. He walked like a man half in his cups. Well, that's because he is. Yeah, in Robert's defense, he is fully in his cups. <laughs> and John's about to be in his cups that's soon, true. too. That's so. true. He's about to make a real drunken asshole of How himself. the fuck are you going to judge him, <laughs> John? You're getting drunk right now. You're being pathetic down on the fucking pews going, Yeah. I'm sad. I'm getting drunk. What the fuck is that? Let he who has never drank before cast the first glass, is all I'm cast saying. The first shot. Yeah. <laughs> you miss every shot you don't take. <laughs> That's down. true. It's 100% of them. The children mm. all come next, and, you know, they all, they all come in. Rickon is super adorable and tries to visit with John. He's like, oh, go along now. Come on. Go along. Go be royal. I know. Well, and interestingly enough, those kids, you know, kids say the darndest shit, no. right? Say the darndest things. Rickon, like, obviously doesn't think John's a bastard. He doesn't know what that means. He just knows John's his brother, and he's kind of different from the rest of his siblings, but he loves yeah, it. Yeah, he's way moodier than the rest of his siblings, but... <laughs> he's real emo, and he wears a lot of darker colors, you know, I mean, but Sansa keeps trying to braid his hair. He won't let her. He's <laughs> over here. He's listening to, like... The Smiths. When they, yeah, the Smiths. Or the or the Cure. Morrissey. The Cure, Probably. Yeah. Uh, of course, Rob comes in right after Rickon, and he's wearing stark gray and white, looking very, you know, young lordly, and Princess Marcella is attached to his arm. She's not quite eight yet. She has long golden curls like her mom's, and she gives Rob all these shy looks and timid smiles. Aw. And Rob is all grins, like he looks dumb, John says, but John decides Marcella is insipid. He doesn't understand how Rob doesn't 
see how vapid Marcella is and see through her. I'm all right. I'm just like, that's very rude, John. Like, I'm over here giving you a pass for being 14. And Marcella is eight. Okay, like, how smart do you think she's she's gonna be? She can't even like probably do like fucking division yet. Okay. She's like, not I can barely do division. I know. I know. She's like, not Arya. And but we see in like, Sansa and Arianne's chapters, and we've got over this. All right. Marcella's very clever. She's very good at Savas. And she's kind, above she all. Is. She's kind. She's gentle. Her nature is gentle. She's just as clever, but she has, like they say, she has none of her mother's cruelty in her. She has her beauty, but not her cruelty. She's gentle, kind, and clever. And it, it it's obvious jealousy. I mean, sure. It's obvious jealousy. John is, you know, he's just pissed. He's a bastard. He has no place at this feast. He has to watch the royal children parade around, which irony there is they're bastards um, as well. I think John has a lot of focus on the physical looks of these people, and it's obviously seeding into his thoughts mixed with some vanity, and it's immature. It's compared to the John we have now in A Dance with Dragons. He does a lot of growing up, especially at the wall, and especially north of the wall. As we know, he, uh, you know, kills the man it's just interesting to see this perspective. He's truly a 14-year-old boy. He's not mature. He thinks he's a man, and as Benjen will outline as we go along, he is not a man yet. And the rest of the Night's Watch is definitely going to hammer that into him. And it's a good arc of growth to where we get in Dance with Lord Snow. But he's still 14 right now and still like very much... (laughs) Very much is that emo little boy, and his half sisters are being accompanied by the princes. And Arya is walking together with Tommen, who has long white blonde hair framing his Aww. chubby face. Oh, Tommen. Sansa is walking with Joffrey. Joffrey's like 12. He's taller than Rob or John. That's such a cool thing to think of, to John's dismay, of course. And, and of course, he has like those thick blonde curls in his mother's eyes. And we get the quote. Sansa looked radiant as she walked beside him, but John did not like Joffrey's pouty lips or the bored, disdainful way he looked at Winterfell's great hall. He's taking all this out on these royal people that are visiting, and he's really just mad that he doesn't get to be one of them. Which, totally fair. I mean, he yeah. doesn't get oh, to be yeah. one of them right now, but like, they are the embodiment of that system that is ostracizing him. Yeah. Like, they're the pinnacle of it. And ironically, he should be sitting where they sit. I know. And, like, there's a lot of irony when it comes to how John thinks of the royals and speaks of them. Yeah, it's going to be hard not to just say this after every single thing in this chapter. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I mean, it's all laced with it. It's very intentional. Uh, It's funny when people, you know, say, obviously, R plus L equals J was the biggest mystery for the long time, but it's meant to be a mystery. It's meant for us to figure it out. And then when we come back for the slow burn, you're like, oh, yep, there it is. George did it there, too. Oh, right there. Oh, this is how a king should look. Oh, nope, just kidding. I'm the king. (laughs) Ha ha. Yeah, it's like when you're looking at one of those books, you know, where you have to, like, put your eyes super close and then bring it out. And then once you see it, like, you can't unsee it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, you know, like, or like when you see two things and you have to see one thing and you're like, oh, Oh, should I see the one thing where John's a bastard? But I also see where he's a king. Yeah. So. That's nuts. (laughs) Meta. John isn't really interested in this, like, droll affair, though. He's now interested in the Queen's brothers, who come next, because they they are a fascinating pair. Tyrion Lannister and Jaime Lannister. 
The lion and the imp, there was no mistaking which was which. Sir Jamie Lannister was twin to Queen Cersei, tall and golden, with flashing green eyes and a smile that cut like a knife, such edge. He wore crimson silk, high black boots, a black satin cloak. On the breast of his tunic, the lion of his house was embroidered in gold thread, roaring its defiance. They called him the Lion of Lannister to his face and whispered, Kingslayer, behind his back. John found it hard to look away from him. This is what a king should look like, he thought to himself as the man passed. They called him the Bastard of Winterfell and whispered Turncloak behind his back. Or like they called him Lord Snow to his face and whispered exactly. Deserter behind his back. Ugh. Yeah, that's definitely true. At least with Theon, you know, everyone's saying shit to his face, you know? Oh yeah, exactly. They're just like They're just spitting cloak. on him. Like, peh. Literally. His observations here serve as an introduction for us to see another point of view, watch the royal party come in, but it also lets us see what they look like from an outsider instead of seeing from Ned. He thinks the Lannister twins are beautiful. He thinks Robert looks nothing like a king. He thinks Marcella's insipid. He thinks the man that throws his half-brother out of a window is what a king should look like, which major, major irony of Ned finding Jamie sitting on the throne, right? And how, you know, Ned thinks, oh, how he glittered. But here John is thinking, wow, that's what a king should look like. Each of the princes and Marcella partner his family and sit at that high table. All of this is kind of out of petty, minute judgments, Obviously, he's more judging the system than he is judging the actual people because he doesn't get to be at that table. And it's important why that transition into meeting Tyrion happens and why it's so harsh and contrasts against his opinions of Jaime because this is, you know, the real life. This is what the product looks like on the outside, and this is what the real life is. For sure. And of course, that's what makes it so compelling when Mance, who's there, Right, in the corner, like, when yeah. he tells Mance as to why he's deserting. Yeah, when he says, like, you were at that feast, you know, you saw, you saw where I was sitting. Where was I sitting, Mance? It's so convincing. And I know people always talk like, oh, political John, the theory that he's, you know, going to be majorly being political this whole time and work for the Iron Throne with his claim or some shit. Uh, it's why it's interesting that he does have a little bit of political intrigue. You know, he he does think with that kind of mindset just like how Ned kind of did. It's just the resources weren't fully, fully available, you know? And he does some politicking much later on in the storyline. It's different. It's a different kind. Yes. It's out of need and necessity. It's not out of, you know, ambition and rising. Yeah. It's understanding the different needs of people and trying to allocate those resources. It's, it's policy. It's real politics. It's what politics should be, not what it's become. <laughs> John also watches Tyrion with fascination, thinking that everything that the gods had given Cersei and Jaime, they had denied Tyrion. He also notes Tyrion's heterochromia and his pale, almost white blonde hair. And of course, making the end of the honor train, we have Benjen Stark and Theon Greyjoy, and Uncle Benjen gives John a smile and Theon ignores him, which, yeah, that's not surprising. Like, we're all very familiar with Theon now, everyone. So we all now understand, like, this action. It probably stands out to all of us because we now know that it's Theon denying John because he's denying his own feelings as an outsider and trying to distance himself from all of that. Yeah, he's trying to fit in, trying to be like, sorry, this is, they accept me. This is the only time I'm accepted is my royalty, my name. And John has none of that. <sighs> so yeah. toasts are made. The feast can truly begin. John feels something rub against his leg, and then he sees Ghost's red eyes peering up at him. Aw, pupper. Aww. 
He slips Ghost a chicken carcass beneath the table, and the dire wolf devours it. His siblings weren't allowed to bring their wolves to the feast, but he counted himself lucky to be where no one would notice it. Yeah, it's pretty great to bring your dog around. But also in this moment, soon after all of this, we see that for John, his eyes stung. John rubbed at them savagely, cursing the smoke. And I think this is a really great example of George R. R. Martin doing that showing and not telling, because... Just as John is learning to see past people's appearances, we see that in this chapter he hasn't fully gotten through that uh, based on his judgments of Marcella and Jamie. But the reader is also learning to do that too. And it comes through, I think, especially on a reread, because John might be cursing the smoke, but we haven't heard about smoke really in this chapter. His eyes are tearing up after watching this entire train go by or thinking about it. And it's all his like, family or people that he thinks of as family and he's not allowed to sit with them he's on the outside all the way down here and he keeps trying to convince himself like over and over he's telling himself maybe i'm fortunate for being down here like maybe i'm really the lucky one because i have this thing but now that he's like a little drunk some of his real feelings and frustration are coming through and he's wiping those tears away yeah man alcohol not even once not even once (laughs) The dogs of Winterfell are moving around across the tables, and a large one tries to pick a fight with Ghost over the chicken carcass, but gives up, leaves it. John ruffles Ghost's fur and is all gridden, and Uncle Benjen is there and says, Oh, are these the wolves I've yet to meet? I've heard so much about them. He ruffles Ghost's fur as well. Ghost is getting lots of attention because he's a good boy. This is very important analysis. I need you to know. He's a good boy. He's a good boy? Who's a good boy? Who's going to die in season eight? Who's going to die in season eight? Oh my god, why would you do that? Go away. I mean, it's true. Go away! (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do a Patreon episode about ghosts and the dogs. We should do it about about the wolves. The puppers! I want to. Yeah, an animal episode. Let's do a Patreon episode about that, please. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Can we? Let's do it. Benjamin then takes a seat next to John, and he's lifting the wine, and he's like, John, how much have you had? And he's like, this is a sweet wine. And I'm just saying that John has been drinking a lot of that sweet wine, which I'm throwing this out there while we're here talking about all this. Wow, cats. Rookie move, John. Right. Too much sugar plus too much alcohol is a bad time. That's how you end up with a bad hangover and embarrassing yourself like you're about to do right now. Oh, my God. It's like pounding headaches the next day. Pounding. Ben Stark laughed. As I feared. Ah, well, I believe I was younger than you the first time I got truly and sincerely drunk. He snagged a roasted onion, dripping brown with gravy from a nearby trencher and bit into it. Mm. It crunched. His uncle was sharp-featured and gaunt as a mountain crag, but there was always a hint of laughter in his blue-gray eyes. Tonight it was rich black velvet with high leather boots and a wide belt with a silver buckle. A heavy silver chain was looped around his neck. Benjamin watched Ghost with amusement as he ate his onion. A very quiet wolf, he observed. He's not like the others, John said. He never makes a sound. That's why I named him Ghost. That and because he's white. The others are all dark, gray or black. Hmm. First off, really meta, right? He's not like the others. Mm. A very quiet He's not wolf, like other observed. girls. He's not like other wolves. <laughs> and of course, the first time Benjamin was drunk, he was younger than John, like he said. 
It was at the tourney at Harrenhal. He would have been 12 or 13 years old at the time. John's 14 now. He and his sister and brothers all were drinking merrily at the tourney at Harrenhal feast. He actually made fun of Liana, which we're going to get to later, and she poured wine on him. So That's a drunken person move, too. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> all of these are. Also, quick shout out to the A Feast of Ice and Fire cookbook. They have a really great recipe for this roasted onions in gravy. They're not roasted, but of the onions and gravy. Check it out. Mm, I can Very make good. some onions and gravy. I can be down for that. It's pretty simple. Yeah, I have the stuff. Yeah. So Benjen tells John that there are still direwolves beyond the wall. So all of this is such an interesting metaphor, right? Because John goes north of the wall to try to find his pack. He joins the wildlings. And of course, that's not them. He never truly belongs there either. And then he comes back to the wall and he ends up being the leader at the wall and he doesn't fit in there either. And then Stannis offers him Winterfell and he feels uneasy and he thinks, could I could I have it? But no, it could never be mine. So John is just the lone wolf. He is out on his own. He's out in the middle of uh, the cold, which I, if you haven't listened, I highly recommend listening to the Manimals, their Game of Thrones mm. concept album. Seven, my favorite song on that whole entire album is Lone, which is about Jon Snow. And it's a... Uh, it's really good. It's really good. Yes. And regarding that idea of belonging, you know, that idea that John and Daenerys do end up in some sort of romantic situation, like, it's just like her, you know? Like, she's wandering around, never really belonging anywhere. It's like poetry, it rhymes. Yeah, absolutely. Their stories have so much... Harmony, it has so much mm -hmm. of the melody in common, but also has this beautiful harmony. I, I will give it that. I mean, it's going to be well-written when it gets done. Yeah. When these books finish adapting the show, and Benjen is actually very inquisitive about why John is eating, eating here and not at the high table. John's like, well, actually, I usually do, but Lady Stark thought it might give insult to the queen and king. Which, yes, I get it. Cat is kind of cold, but... She isn't completely wrong. I mean, she's doing things to ensure that the royalty being there goes well. The king has many bastards with dark hair and light eyes. So having John at that dais, Ned's bastard with dark hair and light eyes, might insult the queen. And it does show Catalan's thoughtfulness and, you know, not wanting to offend, especially another woman who's had to go through that. You know, That's I'm not true. saying that John is, you know a bag like a piece of baggage or anything but i'm saying she still did go through it so she's obviously having that thought for the queen in her head yeah and i mean obviously we know robert probably wouldn't have been upset having john up there but as you were saying cersei would definitely take a front cersei put a hit on all of her husband's bastards lannister would definitely not be cool with that i also think that I wonder if Ned was somewhat relieved because I feel like if John were up there next to Robert, John like Ned would be just sweating, sweating yeah. bullets. He'd be like fucking soaked, and he'd just be like, "Snow, Ned, snow!" the entire time, just ringing in his ears. Benjamin notes that Ned doesn't look like he's having a blast either. John noticed this already because, of course, he thinks a bastard had to learn to notice things. He notices not only Ned's tenseness, but the queen was tense too. She had thrown a fit when Robert went to go to the crypts. His broad face was flushed behind his great black beard. He made many a toast, laughed loudly at every jest, and attacked each dish like a starving man. But beside him, the queen seemed as cold as an ice sculpture. 
I think this is a really cool thing that he actually thinks this, that he has this observation about Cersei. Like, obviously, we know who Cersei is now, but this observation of her, I mean, this could have been his mom. This was supposed to be Lyanna. Oh, this was, yeah. Lyanna was supposed to be the queen at Robert's side. Uh, Robert would have been his father. You know, I mean, this is so interesting that he's watching the way Robert treats her and thinks Robert is no good king when his real father, Rhaegar, is regarded as, oh, he would have been the best king we've had, had in years, you know? Yeah, and I mean, we don't know that, obviously. But I think people thought that, though. Yeah, I'm no, saying, no, you know people I mean? still think that. They still do. They still think, oh, if Rhaegar were here. Yeah. Which I don't know about that, obviously. He did a good job of the opposite, you know, dissecting it's, the entire nation. It's a grass is always greener sort of situation yes, for, absolutely. I think, a lot of the people who survived the rebellion. Yeah, like a Shardane. I think, yeah, actually, Robert would have probably been, with you know, if you ignore the whole Lyanna kidnapping thing, Ro Robert would have been perfectly happy with Rhaegar being king and not him. Oh, yeah. He didn't want this. He just yeah. got it. And... Along with observing Robert's demeanor, he also makes a similar observation of Cersei and her coldness, using the similar language and imagery, that Ice Queen imagery that Ned and Sansa do in their A Game of Thrones chapters. And yeah, as we were saying, you know, a lot of Jon's storyline is that perception, but like, it's kind of cool how we get to see that skill grow throughout book one, when he's at the wall, and in some ways it grows, in some ways it doesn't. Like, he has to be taught how to see that class system a little better, refine it by core and half hand, uh, because Jon himself has grown up pretty well for a bastard, cons all things considered. But he also, like, still, as we said, overlooks some things. Like, he writes Marcella off as insipid, and he kind of writes off the concerns of his men and the danger that they pose at the Night's Watch when he's the Lord Commander, especially considering that there was just a mutiny, like, fucking yesterday. You know this chapter's well-written when every other word either evokes, like, first you're just feeling really sympathetic for John, right? He's complaining and he's upset, but you feel bad because... You're like, oh, this poor kid, like, he's just some bastard. He's just some poor kid. You meet Tyrion, you know, and there you go. It's just another, you know, two bastards hanging out. But then you flash forward to next episode we're going to do with Donald Noy telling him, you know, like, look, you're not shit. You're the son of a lord. You're a bastard of a high lord who you always had food on the table. You didn't have to fight for what you had. You didn't have to do anything for what you had. So it's interesting that like in this breath, we can feel such sorrow for John for everything he's endured for these 14 years of, you know, not knowing who he is. But at the same time, in two chapters, we're just going to be like, yeah, John, what the fuck, dude? Like, you're still really privileged. Oh, yeah. And we even get to that in a second with his exchange with Tyrion, where he says, you know, like, all dwarves are bastards. Yeah. in their father's eyes but like not all bastards have to be dwarves you know like you get to be like a full able-bodied person yeah, you get you to still, still be a warrior yeah you can find honor that way if you wanted he Tyrion has to find his own path in the world and carve it for himself yeah Benjen tells John they could use some detail-oriented <laughs> people at the non-profit he's working for in a you know upper management yeah, and I'm just gonna throw it out there, you know. It's non-profit for rich philanthropists. They're like, yeah, I'm gonna come in. I, I'm just gonna join. It's my hobby as being a board member, but it's actually a penal colony for everyone else. Yeah, it's that idea of a, uh, you know, prisons, privatization, and <laughs> yeah. Speaking speaking of the different class system and privileges, John <laughs> yeah. fucking volunteers, and of course we see John always immediately comparing himself to Rob when Benjen brings up this idea. He 
and John says that Rob is the better lance, but he's the better sword, and he sits the horse better, according to Holland. Yeah, he could definitely want to be a ranger in his eyes. Just like his mother, he sits a horse well. There's a hint right there. These chapters are obviously peppered with these hints. He He's both the, the horse and the sword, as his father was. And just as a fun Easter egg, uh, and I think we called this out in Sansa's chapters when it happened, but Loras uses similar language, a little reverse, where he says that Garland's the better sword and he's the better lance. So. Yeah, I love that. That's how- uh, It's cute. Yeah, Allie's the better sword and Jake's the better lance. So. Oh. Oh. Some sibling knowledge for you about my cats. And one of them joins a celibate order also. <laughs> yeah. John swells with pride at the idea that he could, you know, be something that maybe I'm better than Rob. You know, I could, I'm better than him at something. Finally, I could do this. This is something I could excel in. This is something my skill set could work for. He begs Benjen to take him back to the wall with him. Please take me back with you. Ned would give me leave. You know, this is, this is what I want. But Benjen doesn't think that the wall is any place for John. Yes, and John's like, but I'm going to turn 15 soon. I'm almost a man grown. And obviously, bastards grow up faster than highborn children. Okay, you're still a highborn child. <laughs> yes, he is. I mean, he's not wrong that yeah. he has been forced to grow up a little faster, but also I'm just like, dog, you're 15. I, I understand yeah. that people, we, we've had this discussion before. People are going to say, yeah, it's considered growing up in Westeros. But again, childhood not development. Especially when your dad has sheltered you. Yes. Quote, unquote. He's bad at his his decision making faculties have literally not yet developed. It's not the how it snow, works. No, Ned, snow. And John's like trying to make this decision. Not only is he a teenage boy saying that, oh yeah, I'm a man grown. I'm, I can totally make this life changing decision. He's also drunk. Yeah, and <laughs> don't make life changing decisions when you're drunk, John. And of course, then he tries to justify it because he's like, Darren oh Targaryen God. was only 14 when he conquered Dorne and Benjamin's like, yeah, idiot. He lost 10,000 men and then another 50 <laughs> oh when God. he tried to hold it. And then he fucking died when he was 18. <laughs> and he tells him war isn't a game. And of course, funnily enough, Jon Snow's only 16, 17 when he dies. So yeah, it's, it's isn't it a game? I thought that's what this book was called. That's what this all was. Yeah. It's a game. It's a game. Of Thrones. Is this a game? <laughs> you think this is a game? Oh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, there, there's also some great serious stuff going on here, too. Like, some great warnings here for both John and Rob. Like, the boy king lost Dorne and his life trying to take it. It's very... Some Rob vibes there as well. But also, yeah. as you said, like, that youthful folly follows John. He dies pretty early. But, you know... He, Good thing for him. I we get have... knocked down, but I get up again. <laughs> I've always wanted to have a tub thumping party where we get, where we have a whiskey drink and then a lager drink and then a vodka, what, what, whatever, a uh, cider this, drink. Yes. We have all four of those. I think it'd be really fun. I think we should do that at some I point think in we our should. lives. Okay. I'm in. Thanks. <laughs> but John hasn't exactly forgotten that he has no future. That's kind of what he's thinking about enjoying the Night's Watch. He's seeing it as a future for him, which uh, I know I have a lot of family members that have been in the military in some sort of form, and it's a really big step to take. And in a way, this is the Northern Militia. I mean, this is what's left to guard the realms between men. He had thought on it long and hard, lying abed at night while his brothers slept around him. 
Rob would someday inherit Winterfell, would command great armies as the Warden of the North. Bran and Rickon would be Rob's bannermen and rule Holdfast in his name. His sisters, Arya and Sansa, would marry heirs of other great houses and go south as mistresses of castles of their own. But what place could a bastard hope to earn? What place, indeed. Uh, it reminds me of that line when he thinks, like, my mother had no place for me. Yes, she did. She had a place for you. She still has a place for you. You don't have to go there right now just because you're 16 and 17. You don't have to go to the crypts right away and go die. All right. Yeah, you could just, I don't know, I guess there are thrones. Whatever. Yeah, you can join her at the end of your life, you know? Yeah. Ideally. Yeah, knock it off, John. Yeah, much, much, much later. And... You know, Benjamin's thinking something similar. He's like, I don't really know if I want you to join John. And he's probably thinking in his head, like, fuck, why did I bring this up? And he tries to tell John, you don't know what you'd be giving up. You've never even had a woman. You might, if you knew what it meant, Benjamin said. If you knew what the oath would cost you, you might be less eager to pay the price, son. John felt anger rise inside him. I'm not your son. Oh, Benjamin sucks it up. Ugh. Sorry, I'm upset. More's the pity. He put a hand on John's shoulder. Come back to me after you've fathered a few bastards of your own, and we'll see how you feel. John trembled. I will never father a bastard, he said carefully. Never! He spat it out like venom. Suddenly he realized that the table had fallen silent and they were all looking at him. He felt the tears begin to well behind his eyes. He pushed himself to his feet. I must, I must be excused, he said with the last of his dignity. Oh. Oh, that passage kills me. That, like, slays me. Because, first off, Benjen knew. Yes, totally. I mean, like. He's in the Night's Watch. Benjen knew. The, the knew. entire time. More's the pity. He He totally knows. He's like more's the pity that's like just the saddest line more's the pity that i wasn't your dad you know like more's the pity that not just that but i mean i'm sure like a hundred percent sure that ned and benjamin came to blows about letting john know who he was Mm -hmm. i am almost a hundred percent sure that is what the fallout was and we know of course that benjamin and Liana were close. They were very close. They were so close as kids. Uh, Bran, in his vision in A Dance of Dragons in Bran 3, when he's plugged into the godswood, he sees two children dueling with broken branches. The girl was the older and taller of the two. Arya, Bran thought eagerly as he watched her leap up onto a rock and cut at the boy, but that couldn't be right. If the girl was Arya, the boy was Bran himself, and he had never worn his hair so long. And Arya never beat me playing swords the way that girl is beating him. She slashed the boy across his thigh so hard that his leg went out from under him and he fell into the pool and he began to splash and shout. You be quiet, stupid, the girl said, tossing her own branch aside. It's just water. Do you want old Nan to hear and run and tell father? She knelt and pulled her brother from the pool, but before she got him out, the two of them were gone. Ah, yes, babies, their close relationship. And of course... Then you get the Hall speech, right? The whole passage from Hall in Bran Asos. The uh, the dragon prince sang a song so sad it made the wolf maid sniffle. But when her pup brother teased her for crying, she poured wine over his head. 
a black brother spoke, asking the knights to join the Night's Watch. So there's this part of that passage where all of a sudden things happen after you hear, like, in a row, you hear the wolf made pours wine on her brother after the dragon played, blah, blah, blah. Everybody is their sigil or their color or their animal or whatever. And directly tied to Benjen and Liana is this line that a black brother spoke, asking the knights to join the Night's Watch. So looking back, that's obviously still an influencer for Benjen on joining the Night's Watch and keeping and living with this painful secret of John's parentage. Uh, I'm sure that he contested Ned with the way he was raising Liana's son, you know, whether or not he knew all of the backstory, whether or not he knew, you know, that he was possibly the heir to the throne. He just knew that Liana had a kid and Ned brought it home. And there's no need for Benjen to look at his brother and ask him, is this really your kid? Because I can tell you that he could probably look in Ned's eyes when Ned came home and know that was Liana's kid. Yes, yes. And I mean, it's set up, right? That like, we're starting to see that maybe Benjen gets to be that father figure for John, gets to step in where his brother failed and his sister couldn't be there. But then, nope. Nope. He needs to go and disappear. Yeah. Anyway, it's a really great point. I didn't think about how Benjen also, probably in a drunken moment, was told about the Night's Watch. Yeah. Lots of parallels here for them both. For uh, sure. Especially because Benjen's, you know, that last son that would never get to inherit at this point, Winterfell. Like, what else was there for him? Exactly. And close to a willful sister. Yep. And dead before her time. Wait, what? Oh, no, Arya's life. What? <laughs> there are tears now on John's face, and they are hot as he leaves the hall. And then John and Ghost enter the yard. As John's wiping away these tears, another fellow outcast appears. It's Tyrion Lannister. He wiped away his tears on the sleeve of his shirt, furious that he had let them fall and turned to go. And... Yeah, this entire moment is just those floodgates that John's been holding back this whole time. Tyrion's here, and he's looking like a gargoyle on the ledge where he sits, you know, channeling nineties, grinning at John. Yeah, he's yeah. Uh, also kind of channeling like those gargoyles with the black water. So oh, I thought you were gonna say from the Hunchback of Notre Dame, no. but yes, also that. <laughs> yeah, they talk to each other. They do. <laughs> he asks about John's wolf, and John corrects me. He's like, "It's a dire wolf." First off, yeah. <laughs> he asks why Tyrion is even out here. Right, it's Prada. Uh, <laughs> Tyrion climbs, then jumps down to have a closer look at Ghost. Very acrobatic. I won't read the passage, but it was obviously that kind of retcon thing George did where he kind of very yeah. briefly mentioned that, you know, since Tyrion's a dwarf, he likes to do acrobatics. And, uh, you know, kind of, okay, George. Glad and you kind of let it trail off with your garden. Well, and then he found out that, turns out, uh, little people aren't actually good at doing that like the way that they're built for many of them would actually yeah. mean that they couldn't do that so yeah it's a little uh now that i look at it i'm like yeah. that's a little problematic but we'll move on problematic well, he found out and then he pruned his garden a little you know yeah he weeded he weeded he did Tyrion says that ghost though seems a little shy and he's attempting to walk towards him and ghost snarls backing away from Tyrion. so i along with along with what you're saying um you know you get some of those 93 letter vibes here and with Jamie earlier in the chapter. Yeah. John tells Ghost to stay, and Tyrion and Ghost finally meet calmly. Tyrion and John meet as well. Tyrion calls him the bastard of Winterfell, and John's like, um, what? 
Tyrion's like, am I wrong, though? Am I? Like, that's literally it. That's the conversation. And Tyrion says, I love this. John has more North in him than his brothers. And John feels pride for that. Uh, he also has that thought that we'll get to someday in Tyrion's chapters. You know, whoever John's mother had been, he le- she left very little of herself in him. Which, the irony here is she left all of herself because the seed is strong. Yes. We only get, what, Rhaegar left John with his emo-ness? Uh, he has nice cheekbones, I think. That's true. And he's slender. Yeah, and graceful. Yes. I mean, really, in this chapter, this whole introduction of what he looks like, yes, obviously he has the stark look, but the way he moves and those kind of things, the way he fights, they're very described as that graceful, slender Targaryen. Everything we've seen kind of in fire and blood of how they look kind of ethereal, he's described as moving that way. Almost similar to how the others are described, if you've ever noticed that. Also, just a side note, I think it's kind of funny. I was reading someone had screenshot a conversation between the casting director and I think, you know, the the showrunners and when they first saw Kit Harrington and they were like, I really hope this kid can act because they were saying that he looked exactly the way that they had thought of John as looking as dark and sullen. And then they described him as being very, very ugly. Oh. Which I think is interesting because John's not described as such. John's, no, John's described pretty. as being really pretty. He's prettier I mean, than Craster's daughters. Yeah, I don't think I would call Kit Harrington very, very ugly either. Yeah, for those of you listening to this, if you've seen the album art I doodled for this, like I wanted John to be pretty. Look at those eyelashes. Yeah. Like he's supposed to be beautiful. Yeah, you put like the Bishonen, like yeah. shojo falling you can see the petals. sparkles in his eyes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like. This bitch was beautiful. I wanted it to be pretty because John yeah. is this skinny pretty boy. He's like tuxedo mask, basically. Yeah, with blue petals. I, I support the Seiya thing, you know, <laughs> from like the last season of Sailor yeah, Stars. Yeah. But whatever, he, he's basically very tuxedo mask. Yeah. Let me give you some counsel, bastard, Lannister said. Never forget what you are, for surely the world will not. Make it your strength, then it can never be your weakness. Armor yourself in it, and it will never be used to hurt you. John was in no mood for anyone's counsel. What do you know about being a bastard? All dwarfs are bastards in their father's eyes. You are your mother's trueborn son of Lannister. Am I? The dwarf replied, sardonic. Do tell my lord father. My mother died birthing me, and he's never been sure. I don't even know who my mother was, John said. Some woman, no doubt. Most of them are. True. Not like her. Not everyone's like that girl. Uh, (laughs) He favored John with a rueful grin. Remember this, boy. All dwarves may be bastards, yet not all bastards need be dwarfs. And with that, he turned and sauntered back into the feast, whistling a tune. When he opened the door, the light from within threw his shadow clear across the yard, and for a moment, Tyrion Lannister stood tall as a king. Wow, we get rushed back to that contrast of Jaime, you know, Jaime looks like a king should be, yet Tyrion Lannister's, yeah, it's good. 
Tyrion standing tall is a contrast to that Jamie's Disney Prince Kang look we see in John's eyes, where Jamie, the beautiful man in gilded armor who can have whatever he wants, including the queen, lol, uh, with the best sword arm in the country, is up on this stage. He is playing a role on a stage that John is not able to get on. He turns around and he bumps into this direct mirror instead, which is Tyrion Lannister, the bastard, the stunted, the outcast, this demonic little monkey, in Cersei's words. John feels hated and iced out in his own home from Catelyn, just like Tyrion, and it makes me wonder if the toxicity with Tyrion and John's families are meant kind of as a contrast in the end, right? Uh, we see Tyrion and John possibly embracing one side of that coin with their families. You get the Tywin writ small, and then you get mm-hmm. the Ned writ small. Yeah, I think that's a really great point of how, you know, the ones who are the outcasts, like you said, become the the family name. Yeah, it's John learning to see past things and their appearances. And, I mean, we've, we discussed this on that episode that we did with... Lucifer means Lightbringer on Between Two Weirwoods, right? And with Crowfood's daughter, aka Amanda, whom we had on a few weeks ago for a Theon episode about the differences between the way Ned and Tywin each raise their kids. Yes. In looking at that line of, you know, this is what a king should look like, it's clear all of this in the long run is meant to be a little ironic. I can expect it to be mirrored, like what, in the crypts in A Dream of Spring when mm-hmm. John comes to terms with his parentage and he's like, this is what a king should look like? I'm what a king is? I mean, overall... Me? Yeah, right. Me? <laughs> Fuck. Why? Overall... Like, just prom king. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh my god, prom School of Thrones! I okay. love School of Thrones. Everyone watch School of Thrones. Uh, uh, this is one of the biggest struggles for John and his arc. It starts here in this chapter. We get the outline for Catelyn's treatment. We know it's coming. We know Ned did what he personally could, but he still pushed John away, you know, because Lyanna and Promise Me. And John's alone. He's abandoned in the snowy north, never knowing who he is, who his mother was, what he's doing with his pointless little life. You know, he's like, oh, I'm just a bastard. But he's about to become the hero. Of this entire story, right? He's the hero, and this is his rough and tumble way to saving everyone in the fucking world. You're welcome. Let's get emo bitches, acoustic guitar riff, like, you know, like, here's Summer Hall. This is it. This is John. This is the ascent, the slow ascent, then descent, then ascent, then descent, then ascent, finally, maybe. Ideally. Hopefully. Ideally. Yes, absolutely. It's going to be really interesting, and, you know, that there's going to be a huge change. He becomes the hero. He becomes the person who has everything handed to him on a platter, but not really. Like, he worked hard to get to where he is, but then he's going to be bequeathed with the name with which everything comes. And, like, that's why it's so interesting that this is, you know, like, this is one of the most iconic exchanges in A Song of Ice and Fire. People quote this shit everywhere of, like, armor yourself in it and no one can use it against you, you know? Like, Tyrion telling him all that. Yeah, Lord Snow. Exactly. And he doesn't love it, but he like lets it happen. And it's just really great to have all of this on the heels of the Theon and Ramsay chapters because we see how John very much juxtaposes with Theon, who was unable to accept who he was for so long, that he was a great joy, but very much growing up as a Stark. And that led him to doing dumb shit to prove himself because it was really of <laughs> course himself that he couldn't accept we get deep here and of course like john learns early on to accept that he is a bastard while ramsey never really does and of course ramsey grew up much more lower class than john did and also had like 
shitty friends and was his mom was kind of shitty too he, he i mean ramsey's shitty all right and but like he wastes so much time and energy vying for that acceptance and trying to get that last name trying to erase the bastardy from himself but just as like ramsey becoming a bolton and no longer being a snow doesn't change that he's a fucking monster and is an awful terrible person like we're gonna see that of course being a bastard does shape who john is and when he accepts it but also, we're going to be exploring how changing his name from Snow to, like, he's not even going to become, like, John Stark. He's about to become, like, probably some sort of Targaryen. Probably Aegon. Like, that's going to affect who he is. And he spent all this time armoring himself as Snow, being like, yeah, all right, fine. Fuck it. I'm Lord Snow. I'm Ned Stark's bastard. And when that armor is stripped from him, what then? Who, who are you going to be, Identity crisis, yo. Big identity yeah. crisis. And worse than now, and the huge thing there i've written about this before i'll put a link in our description uh, about just john accepting his parentage he's gonna be i mean we can even expect this in season eight of the show we're gonna see this in the books when it happens he's going to be so kind of distraught and pulled between himself you know like everything he lived was a lie on top of a lie that he believed right he believed he he was Ned's son and that his mother was no one. Some He straight up says, like, oh, some common woman or a whore or whatever. Like, why won't he speak of her? John doesn't even know that it could be Ashara, right? He doesn't, he doesn't know who it is. He has no clue. He thinks it's just some common woman from the war. And then all of a sudden it's turned on its head in the middle of fucking his aunt. He finds out that he's... Her nephew, Rhaegar's his dad, Ned's not his dad, Ned kept this terrible secret and protected him for so long. Yeah. And, like, we discussed this before, but, of course, George R. R. Martin likes taking other things, everyday things, or examples from history, and what he likes to do is he dramatizes it, he turns it up to 11, that makes it a really fun, compelling story. And he's doing that here with this, like, during the ages of 16, 17... Maybe a little later, depending, you know. You're finding out that your parents are imperfect people. They are adults and they're doing the best they can. Now imagine that turned up to 11. That is John, all right? That that existential crisis of your parents don't know what they're doing. Yeah, John's parents really didn't know what they were doing. None of them, not well, Ned, Well, because they were dead. They couldn't Liana, know what they were doing. Ray- well, that's true. Yeah. But Well, even before, they just, they were like, lol. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we're gonna run away. <laughs> yeah. Liana really sick. didn't know. She she made a choice. And I think it's so important to point out, like, Liana made this decision. And we're going to hear a lot in his class chapters. And John and Egret, especially, there's a lot framing there that really tells us a lot about what Rhaegar and Liana was probably like. Just some different nods toward it. And yeah, Liana was so young. Rhaegar was an adult male. And Liana yeah. was 14, 15, 16. She died at age 16. This all started at age 14. And that doesn't excuse, obviously, her being held responsible for some of her actions. But at the same time, it doesn't really, you know, it's not, you can't just shit on the 14, 15 year old girl because she made this mistake. She yeah. obviously kind of paid for it. Yeah, Rhaegar was like. He was twenty one. It's not. It's not the best. No, I mean, I make time. horrible decisions. I'm still. Yeah, but, but he's still old. Than he was still old enough to be like, you know, so, there are twenty one years old. You know, he was like leading a bunch of them out there. His dad. He was literally yeah. like, who his dad and just like, yeah, yeah. He needed to have like thought this through a little better. Yeah, he really could have. 
Yeah. They all, but honestly, I mean, hey, maybe maybe John inherits some of that too. You know, think about it. Think about it. Yeah. The Shield Hall, up in Castle Black. Don't announce um, desertion in front of everyone. You know, whatever. Yeah. There's. Uh, I kind of forget that, like, you know, that happens. All that we have so much to get to with John. God, we have months, it's a we whole have arc. Months of stuff to There's get like to. Indeed, ten arcs. So many arcs. I'm really excited. It's not because... even a whole arc. We started out with a character that did technically have a whole arc, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he dies at the end, so. Oh. What's that John. book you like? That is actually one of my favorite book series. The John Dies at the End series. Not about a song of ice and fire. Still really good. Highly recommend it for those of you that read. I know, obviously, this is a podcast that is based around the original TV series that was adapted into books, so I'm glad you guys are sticking around for that. Yep, and if you want to stick around with us, be sure to follow us on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon on Twitter, or shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Hey, if you're missing Theon already, join us on Patreon. Patrons $5 and above are getting our Theon 1 in the Winds of Winter episode. Uh, The episode is based around Theon's The Winds of Winter release sample chapter, and it was a lot of fun to record. Just put that out recently. Uh, There will be a Game of Thrones-themed episode coming to Patreon as well as we squeeze ourselves into Game of Thrones content in April during the season. We're very excited about that, so stay tuned for more details there. But check it out, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. And of course, be sure to subscribe. We always are going to be putting out most weeks, majority weeks, just like this episode, our read-through episodes for free. And you can catch us on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify, on Acast, on Stitcher, all of these things. We are there. And of course, on Podbean, which technically hosts all of these. Yes, you can find the whole history on Podbean to stream as well. Podbean to stream. Or what am I missing? Is it time for us? I think it's us. Okay. <laughs> Say your name, Chloe. Your name, Say Chloe. Your- <laughs> Say your name. <laughs> your Say name. your name. Say your name. When no one I'm- is around me, I'm Liza Gold. Say it, baby. <laughs> Guys, I'm Chloe. You know where to find me on the internet. Liza Narber, Twitter, Tumblr, LizaNarberGold.com is my blog. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. I'm Eliana. <laughs> Your other host. Yes. Not Allie. <laughs> oh, my God.